so the, the foundation for today's message is going to be found in Mark chapter 14, verses 38. Okay? Mark chapter 14, verse 38. And here's, here's what it says, okay? Mark chapter 14, verse 38. It says, Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Okay, Mark chapter 14, verses 38. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And, and I think this is a really significant passage because I'm going to test you right now. And here's the test. Are you ready? Um, we know that this passage is true, and so I'm going to give you a very clear test of this. How many of you still are eating out of your Halloween candy bags? Let's be honest, right? How many of you bought extra bags of Halloween candy so that you have a little extra for yourself, right? Yep. Now, now here's, here's the other thing. How many, of you, how many of you chose your Halloween candy based off of what you liked rather than what you thought the kids would like, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm there too, right? Yep, and, and let's be honest with you, because we had like 10 people come to our home, right? And we bought it from a place that we could easily have taken them back to. No problems at all that have taken back. No questions at all. But I, I will confess, I bought $62 worth of candy, right? <laughs> For 10 people. On it. And, and I have no shame in telling you that we still have at least two bags left in our house. <laughs> They've been opened, um, and I eat out of them every day um, because, as you can tell, I need the sugar, right? Um, but I'm just telling you right now, we understand that this passage is true, that the spirit is willing, but the body is weak, right? Um, we understand that. Over the last seven weeks, we've talked about this process of being restored. And some of us have had to recognize that we need to make some changes in our lives. And, and in the process of recognizing we have to make changes, we've seen that it's hard, and we know it, but we also recognize, yeah, I've, I've got to try. I've got to start somewhere. And, and this restoration process is sort of like a flywheel. Let me see if I can explain to you what a flywheel is, okay? Um, a flywheel is, uh, the easiest way I could say it is that you have a, a piece of machinery that is not, it's not moving. It's not a perpetual motion machine. It just is, it's just there. And the flywheel is this big, heavy, round thing that you're going to push. It takes a lot of effort. A lot of effort to get it going first, okay? So you're, you're pushing this flywheel, and it takes a long time to get it going. But as that flywheel goes, some of the other machinery starts to move as well. And, and even though this flywheel is really heavy, you're still pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And as you're pushing it, it creates the energy so that the rest of the machine can work and do what it needs to do. So the idea of a flywheel is it sustains the energy as it goes on. Now, the thing about a flywheel is, is that you can take your hands off it um, after a while, after it gets going, and it'll still keep going because it's so heavy, because it has that weight to it. Um, but in time, that flywheel will stop, right? Because you've stopped putting the effort into keeping it going. In, the same, in that same way, it not only is something that generates energy, but it also sustains it. The problem with trying to push the flywheel of our life is that the road to restoration is rough, right? It's not an easy push. 
it's not easy to keep pushing on that. It's sometimes when we recognize that there's things in our lives that we need to be restored from, it's basically two steps forward and one step back, right? Like, like you'll get going a little bit and then you, you stop a little bit. And things might go well for a while when we start out, but sooner or later when we have a problem, what happens? Well, we revert back to what we know, right? So, so the alcoholic will go back to drinking when he runs into a problem that he can't work around. Uh, a, an overeater will continue, will, will stop for a while, but then will go back to overeating. And a, a gambler will buy a lottery ticket because they're feeling good, right? And they're, they're right at the gas station pump, right? So you can just buy them right there. It's only a dollar, right? Who cares? And the next thing you know, they're back at the casino, Right? Um, workaholics fill up their schedule again, over and over again. And we repeat the patterns of our past. And what we call this, is we call this relapse, right? Right, it's, everybody's heard the word relapse, right? Right, um, so how do we recognize a relapse? How do we recognize when this is happening in our lives, right? Because we all have experienced this, we've all known this. Well, the easiest way to recognize it relapses is that relapses have a pattern. And once you see this pattern, you can recognize it easily. So the pattern is real simple, okay? Um, I'm, I'll use myself as an example here because it's fun to make fun of myself sometimes, right? So here we go. I make a commitment to not eat any more of the Halloween candy, even though there are two full bags, or partially full, right? I've opened them. Well, I confess that. Um, in my thing, I've made a commitment. I'm not going to eat it, right? And so the first day, I'm good, right? I'm not eating the Halloween candy. I'm good. Second day is going on, and, and I've got this issue resolved, right? But the third day, third day, I'm, I, need a little, I need a little something. To, I'm not really hungry, but I'm, I'm sort of munchy. You know, you get that? And, and by now, I'm a little complacent, about things, and so I, I've become complacent. I've made some progress. I got comfortable, um, and so what do I do? I, I have some. I have a piece of candy, right? And here's the thing: complacency does this to us. We recognize that, hey, I'm making a change. I have to make this change, and and this change, whether it's pain that you've got, you've been carrying with you, or whether it's something that is, you know is destructive. You become complacent with that once you start going through this. And that complacency, you argue that you can sort of live with, hey, this is okay. If it's pain, you argue with the fact that now that you're trying to trust God more, the pain is a little bit more reduced. And you say, well, I can, I can live with this reduced pain. And you can't, but you think you can. And so that thinking you can allows you to become complacent. Second thing is, you sort of become confused about things. You start to rationalize your behavior. Like, like I know that I made a commitment not to eat the candy in the pantry. But, but I'm hungry. I'm munchy, right? And, and seriously, what is one bag of M&Ms that's like this big going to cost me? It's like, there's, a, there's like 10 M&Ms in there. It should be fine. It's not going to hurt me, right? I've never been able to eat just one bag of them, by the way. Just so you know that. on it. But I'm saying for the course of our discussion here, one bag isn't going to hurt me, right? I sort of become confused. I rationalize it, and I forget how bad the sugar is for my body, right? right? It's not bad. I, I don't believe that lie, but I'm just telling you for the sake of the discussion here, right? Um, 
The third thing is I start to compromise, and you just heard that, right? Oh, sugar's not really that bad for me, right? I mean, I, I could eat this, and it's okay. You know, and, and I go back to that place of temptation. I stand at that pantry, and I open it up, and I say, oh, well, we have the peanut M&Ms, and then the caramel M&Ms. Oh, and over here is a Nestle Crunch bag. And I start to think, well, maybe I can compromise. Maybe if I... I do this. It's sort of like a gambler who goes to Las Vegas for the shows, right? Like, like you should never do that. You, you know what's going to happen, yet you're still staring at the pantry anyways. And then the fourth thing is catastrophe strikes. I just give in. I, I reach in, and of course, I never grab one. I always grab as many as my hand can hold on to, which, quite frankly, I've got big hands, and that's, that's a lot of M&Ms right there, right? Um, and so I grab that, and I think to myself, oh, okay. I'm, I'm all in now. And most people think the cat, that's when the relapse happens, but it's not. The catastrophe is simply the result of the pattern that is happening. The pattern is simple. I become complacent. I become confused. I start to compromise things. And then catastrophe strikes. And, and yes, I can apply it to simply the candy. Obviously, I could apply it to that, but I could apply it to every other area of my life as well. Um, for instance, if I, have, if I have an addiction in my life, I've worked, I know that this addiction is destructive in my life. I know that I can't defeat this on my own, and so I've trusted God to do this, and so in trusting God, I'm now moving away from this addiction, right? And yet, what happens is is I move away from it, the pain becomes less, I become used to less pain, and I become complacent, and then I become confused, and then I start to compromise, and then before you know it, catastrophe strikes, and I'm back in the throes of that addiction. Recognizing and avoiding a relapse is easy once we can see that pattern, but the real question comes from this. What causes a relapse in this? What causes that to happen to us? What causes us to, to step back into things? What causes us to, to allow this pattern of a relapse to get into our lives? Well, the first thing we have is our willpower gets us into trouble. We know this is true. Galatians 3.3 3 says this, How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Let's see if we can see this pattern again here, okay? We start by recognizing that we are powerless to change right? That, that we're not going to change our own. So we make the decision to trust God and his power. And we give this, whatever it may be, addiction, problem, pain, frustration, we give that over to God. And we say, here we go. And we start trusting God, and we let God start to make some changes in our life. And it is not easy. Remember the flywheel process. We're pushing and pushing over and saying, here you go, God, I'm giving this over to you. And it's hard for us to do this. We start trusting God. We let God make changes in our lives. And before long, we start to see some success, right? We went a day without drinking. We spent, we spent two days without getting into the pantry, right? We, we've done all these things here. And we start to see successes. And sooner or later, what happens is we forget about God. And we start to think that it's our own willpower that is bringing us success. Willpower is a tricky thing, isn't it? Uh, willpower is one of those things that uh, you wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to get this done today. This is going to happen today. And what it does is we often get to the idea of thinking that it is us that is causing us to be free from this addiction. 
from this problem in our life. And it's not, it's God, but we think that it's us. And before long, we stop depending on God. And when we stop depending on God, we become complacent and confused. We start to compromise, and then catastrophe strikes. Zechariah 4.6 tells us this, It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So here's the, here's the reality that we all understand, but is really difficult for us to come to terms with, and that is this, that only God can heal our hurts and pains. We can't heal it. Only God can heal that. Uh, we, we understand that it's hard to understand, but we know it's true. And when we depend on our own willpower, eventually what will happen is we will relapse. Right? Now, some of us have, have a lot more willpower than others, right? Like for me, I, I believe that it is, I believe that if I, can, if I can go a day without getting into the pantry, I've done well, right? For some of you, you could have that bag of candy up there for months and never think about it, right? Until that one day when you open it up and your mind says, man, I really would like to have a piece of that candy. And you just grab some because it's innocent. It doesn't hurt anything, right? And next thing you know, you've just devoured the whole bag and you've got to figure out what to do next, right? I know you guys would never do that, but I would, right? On him. When we depend on our own willpower, we will relapse sooner or later. Second, another thing that causes a relapse is we try to hurry things. We, we're so ready to get rid of this pain in our life, this hurt, this thing that has been dragging us down, this thing that has been causing us so much trouble in life, that we move too fast. And for some of us, here's the thing, we've carried a hurt around our lives for years. Like years, like this has been part of us. This is ingrained in us. This is something that, that is deeply embedded in us. In fact, it might be something that has uh, wrapped itself around our personality, our character, everything about us. And yet, it's not, and we understand that we're supposed to give this away, but that hurt does not go away in just a matter of moments if you've carried it with you for years. It just doesn't work that way, right? You, God can certainly free you from that in a, in a moment, in an instant. But for us, we've carried around that hurt so long, it's become part of who we are. It doesn't go away in a matter of moments. We still have to come to terms with that. And, and here's the thing. We have to trust God. We have to follow the Bible. We have to maintain our progress. We can't be in a hurry. We have to let God do it in his time not in our time. And that's how we heal. Perhaps another way on it, we try to, uh, we try to get past this that causes relapse is that we try to do it on our own. And some of us, some of us know this problem all too well, right? Listen, I don't need anyone's help to get through this, right? Right? Uh, Or I will, I'll get by on my own. Thank you very much. Let me just figure this out. Give me a little space here so I can think about this in my head here. And, and, we know this is true, right? Yeah, right. That's not going to help. Being by ourselves doesn't help us. Uh, we all know that. However, just in case we don't want to trust what we all know, here's what it says in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 tells us this. The two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. 
If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together could keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone could be attacked and defeated, but two could stand back to back and conquer. And three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Guys, this idea of accountability that I've been teaching and, and talking about over the last couple of weeks is so critical because no matter how strong you are and no matter how well off you are, no matter how minor your problem may be or how major your hurt may be in your life, if you don't have someone in your life that you can be accountable to with this, if you don't have someone in your life that is standing beside you and encourage you in the dark days and who you can encourage in their dark days, you are missing something extraordinarily valuable. And you are in danger of relapsing, no matter what the situation is. You have to have people in your life who step on that. And, I, and I've thought about this passage a lot. You know, I've talked about my, my accountability partner, Corey, and how he is such an encouragement to me. Um, and, and yeah, I call him a jerk, and he calls me a jerk at times. And this, this is part of the camaraderie that we have with each other. But the reality is, you know, he and I work together. But there are times when we talk, when we are both weak, right? Where, where we get together on the phone, and, and I'm hoping that he can encourage me, and he's hoping that I can encourage him, and it's just been a rough day for both of us. We're both going through something that is really trying and really troublesome. And it is then that we recognize where that third person comes in. That third person can and only can be God. That third person creates that triple-braided cord for us. And here's the thing that I, I want to share with you, that even when we cannot be strong on ourselves, that God is. But without, with an accountability partner, someone that you trust, who does not connect with God, you're missing that third person in there. I just put that in your thoughts for you there, because I think this is so important to recognize that you can't get over things on your own. We can't. Because if you could, if you could get over it on your own, then you would have. But you can't, so you won't, right? True. Uh, and, and it's tough to hear. It's even harder for us to accept. It's harder to accept that we all need someone to lean on for support. We were designed to be in relationship. And that's why one of the things why we gather here every week, that's why this is so important. Hebrews 10.25 tells us, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. See, I think sometimes we miss, uh, we look at Sunday mornings and think, well, maybe it's okay if I miss, maybe it's okay if I'm not there, maybe it's okay if I, if I don't show up. And the reality is, when you show up, when you're here, regardless of what happens in this environment here, right? We could sing nursery rhymes, right? I could, I could, you know, preach out of Hey Diddle Diddle, the Cat and the Fiddle, right? I guess that's a nursery rhyme too, right? Um, we could do that, but we're here to encourage each other. And so when you walk in here, we walk in here not just because we want to know the Word of God, not just because we want to worship together, but we all come in here knowing that we want to encourage each other. We want to be an encouragement to each other as a body, right? Let's be honest. We could, so, we could sometimes see some gain on our own without including other people, right? Like, like if I decided that I was going to go on a diet— which clearly I don't need to do, right? 
thank you, on it. Um, but if I were to go on a diet, I could probably see a little bit of gain on my own, right? But if I had somebody who was holding me accountable on that diet, uh, I definitely see some gain, right? I definitely see a change, right? We can never be fully restored if we don't have other people walking alongside of us. It will work for a while, but it will not work long term. Let me see if I can give you a, a very real picture of this. How many of you know how to um, ride a bike on it without hands? Yep, yep, yep. Rod, Rod did that this week, right? On it. Uh, so that's for you. I just had to put that in there. On it. Um, we all know how to ride a bike without hands, right? On it. And, and here's the secret to riding a bike without hands, okay? You have to get enough speed going so that the constant moving of your legs up and down as you pedal you know, levels you out and balances you so that you can let go of the handlebars, right? That's really what it is. It's the same principle when you ride a unicycle, right? Anybody else here ride a unicycle besides me? Yeah, a couple. Me and, yeah, we're the ones that are well balanced. That's what I'm going to tell people, right? Um, and so the idea is you have to keep going fast enough so you can keep your balance. Um, then you can let go of it, right? And, and for a moment, you can stop, as you're, as you're riding, you can let go, you can stop pedaling, right? Because you get going fast enough, you can let go and you can stop pedaling. But what happens if you stop pedaling? No matter what happens, you start to slow down, right? And, and before long, if you get too slow, the, bi- the body starts to wiggle back, or the bike starts to wiggle back and forth, and you know, you're constantly trying to shift your weight to keep it steady, right? And before long, you're going to fall. You might not crash at first, but stop pedaling and you will. And here's the thing. You have to have people around you so you don't crash. You have to have that constant pe- people driving in you in your life and pouring into you. Relapse also happens when we become prideful. We get overconfident. We say, I am strong. I am finally over this habit and this hurt. It is no longer has control of me. I've forgiven them. I've stopped. It's going to be okay. And yet Proverbs 16, 18 tells us pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. And here's the thing. We have to stay humble. Or we will stumble. Pride sets us up for a fall because it blinds us to our own weaknesses. And it keeps us from asking for help. It prevents us from making amends to other people. And it causes us to blame other people for our own problems. And that's how you know when you have a problem of pride. When you blame your problems on other people. Let me see if I can give you a real, real quick example of this. Um, if, you're, if anything goes wrong in your life, or something bad happens, or you get confronted with anything, and your first instinct is to blame someone else for that, that's probably an issue of pride, right? Oh, you know, I can't believe that someone broke into my car. Well, did you lock the car? Well, no. Well, yeah, somebody's going to break into it, right? Because if you don't lock the car, you don't take the precautions, you're, you're basically inviting someone to do it, right? Um, how about this? I went to work, and, you know, um, this is all going over here, and, and, yeah, it's my area here, but, you know, somebody else caused the problem. Guys, we have to take ownership of the problem. 
even if it's not our own thing there. Pride always, no matter what happens, pride always comes when we start blaming our problems on other people. 1 Corinthians 10.12 tells us, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. So the secret of restoration is living with some type of humility because humility is the best protection against relapse. See, pride tells us that we have it all together and that it's not us, it's other people that are having the problem. Uh, humility tells us that we are getting it together. We don't have it, but we are working on it. Do you get that? Pride says we have it all together. Humility says we are working on getting it all together. We may not have it all the way right now, but we are getting there. And we live our lives knowing that we were made perfect because of God, not because of us. It's very significant to understand that it is God who makes us perfect, not our own selves. Well, we, we've talked about this idea of, of how to avoid relapse. We've talked about what causes relapse. But the question I want to leave you with is this. How do you prevent a relapse in your life? How do you prevent that? Remember our theme verse. Our theme verse is Mark 14, 38. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So how do we prevent a relapse? See, Jesus knew we would be tempted uh, to relapse, so he gave us clear instructions. He said to us, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Jesus knew our spirits would be willing, but our bodies would be weak. So he asked us to watch and pray. So how do we prevent a relapse? Well, we watch And as we're watching, we evaluate things. We evaluate our physical state. What is our body telling us, right? Uh, What is is uh, our—if we are feeling run down and and we are tired and we are worn out, our bodies tell us we probably need to rest, right? Um, Because when you're in that state right there, you're more inclined to relapse. We evaluate our emotional states. Are we allowing our real feelings to surface? Are we we stuffing it down? how is our heart? Are we, are we angry? Are we resentful? Are, are we tense about things? We evaluate our relational state. Are, are we at peace with people? That person that hurt us that lives, you know, a thousand miles away or, or two thousand miles away or two blocks away, are, are we allowing them to hurt us even when they're not in our presence? Are, are we holding on to a hurt? We evaluate our spiritual state. Are we in the word? Are we depending on God? Are we praying? And basically this watching and this evaluating is just taking the inventory of our life. And like any inventory, you find things that you're doing well and things you need to improve on, right? Right? It, it just, it's common sense that there's things that when you look at things, you have to, okay, I'm doing well here and I'm not doing well over here, right? Um, but the key is to celebrate the things you're doing well and you and I have to sort of celebrate even the minor victories, right? So for me, maybe I'm just going to celebrate the fact that I spent a day away from the pantry. I mean, yeah, and maybe tomorrow I could spend a second day away from it. Maybe I could go through that. You know, and maybe I can, maybe I'm not even at the point where I can spend a day. Maybe I could say, you know what, I got up, I went to the pantry, I pulled out the candy, and I said, no, I'm not going to eat that right now. I put it back in there, and maybe that's all I can celebrate, Right? Um, I'm getting a lot of mileage out of this Halloween candy. I hope you guys see that right there, right? Because I think that's an easy way for us to understand. But maybe, maybe your Halloween candy is that someone hurt you in your life. And, and you're, rather than dwelling on that hurt in your life, 
you're saying, look, I spent an hour, and I just didn't worry about it. I just let it go. You know, hey, today, every time this hurt dwelled up in my life, and every time I could feel it boiling up inside of me, I was able to say, you know what, God? I'm going to give that back over to you because I, I, I don't have time to deal with that, and I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to let you deal with that. And, and maybe that's how you are coming to terms with it. Because we have to celebrate even the most minor victories. Because no matter how small the progress is, we celebrate that every time we depend on God. Galatians 6.4 tells us this, Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. And I think this is so critical because don't we do this all the time, right? Don't, don't we look at other people's ability to resist something that we're tempted with and we get a little bit, dare I say, jealous of that, right? Don't we say, I've been in the pantry 10 times today and Kristen hasn't even been there once, right? On it, but I don't know. Maybe Kristen has a stash of candy in her office that she doesn't have to leave and go to the pantry. I don't know the answer. <laughs> but the reality is, when we start comparing it to other people, we miss something there. Right? See, after we've watched and evaluated ourselves, we pray. And, and that's what Jesus taught us, to watch and to pray to avoid a relapse. And so we pray with our quiet time in his word. And we, we take this word of God, we, we devour it like bread. We let it nourish us. We let it give us the, the nutrients we need. We let it guide our mind and our hearts. We let it fill our lives up. Um, it feeds us, it gives us nourishment every day. So, so here's what I love about um, some of the songs that we sing, is that sometimes I'll hear those in my head in random parts of the day, right? It, it's true. Right, sometimes I'll hear those in my head. Like, like I could be having a terrible day, and, and I'll hear, Come Thou Fount, ringing in my brain. And I'm like, where did that come from? That has nothing to do with what I'm doing over here, and yet it's in there. It's reminding me of me. In the same way, Scripture does that as well, that the more I, more I absorb it, the more it comes into my life, the more I read it, the more I try to hold on to it, it changes me. On it. And, and in times of need, I can reflect back on that. We spend time in our quiet time. We, we pray with our time of meditation. We think about the verses we've read. We memorize them. We reflect on them. We meditate on them. And here's the thing. Most of us don't understand this word meditation anymore because we think that it's some kind of new age thing that, oh, well, you have to sit in a certain way, and I'm not even sure my legs bend that way, but of course, that's how you're supposed to sit, and I have to hold my hands a certain way to meditate correctly. But the reality is, taking the time to read through it and just to pause and to think about what a verse means and what it looks like for yourself, that changes your heart, doesn't it? Doesn't it change you? When you can, when you can sit there and you can say, Huh. This is a powerful passage. So one of the things I've committed to myself is I've committed that I read like today is the 19th, right? Right? So today I read Proverbs 19, right? So tomorrow I'm going to read Proverbs 20, right? Right? And, and, and that's the pattern that I'll do, right? And so every time I, I've been doing this for a while now, I, I enjoy this. Um, and every time I read the Proverbs, I find a new Proverbs that, huh, that applies more to me now than it did last time I read it. And I absorb it. 
I think about it, I meditate it. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the last thing we do is we pray with our words because our words connect us to God's power. And, and here's the thing. We, we know this. We know that we can pray about any need or any concern that we have in our life because God is a loving Father. Uh, and we know that because he's a loving Father that we can, um, we can give it all to him. We can pray about a financial need. We can pray about a physical need. We can pray about a relational need, a spiritual need, an emotional need. He will take any need we have. Any need. It doesn't matter. If you've got a hurt that you've been holding on to, or you've got a, a something that in your life is just keeping you from having a fully committed relationship with him, he'll take that. If you've got an issue in your life that you say, no matter what I do, I can't get over, the good news is Jesus can take that over for you. Jesus Christ, you matter to Jesus, and he has the power to help you with that. You can make the changes with his help that you want to make and that he wants you to make. But the key is we have to step across that line and let him do it. We have to trust him. And that's really the idea of restoration. Let's go back to the principle of the flywheel. See, I, nothing's working right now. It stopped. So I have to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And I put my hands, and I say, I'm pushing the flywheel away. I'm pushing it, trying to get it going. And God says, yeah, thank you. And I keep pushing. And before long, it's, it's hard at first. It doesn't make any sense. I don't even know why we're doing it, right? Um, but we keep trying. We say, okay, I'm going to trust God. And we keep pushing that flywheel. And before long, yeah, we start seeing the changes that happen because we're committing to pushing that flywheel. And, and, and it appears that that flywheel does get easier to push. It doesn't. We just finally have some momentum on it that's allowing us to do that. We've seen the success from the past that gives us encouragement for the future, which allows us in the present to push forward in that. Let me pray for you again. Dearly Father, in the flywheels of our life, as we, as we look at this process of how you want to restore us, how you want to make us whole again. I ask, Lord, that you would give us encouragement so that we can continue to be pushing forward. Keep us from complacency, Lord. Keep us from getting confused. Allow us to stay committed to you. Let us put all of our strength in your hands, Lord. I just ask, Lord, that for those of us here who are, who are in this process of being restored and, and those of us who are, who are thinking about, hey, there's this area here that I've held on to for too long. I just ask that we would cross over that line, that we would commit to you and give it to you. Let us begin to push that flywheel of our life on it and give you control. In your most holy name, amen.